We should do that for fun. Okay. Welcome back to this week's Yahweh. We have special guests with us, Whitney and Josh with Riverstone Kennels. You've seen a lot of stuff that we posted about Sprig. That is where we've that is where he came from. These guys are the masterminds behind that breeding. Yes. You could say Attempted. that. Attempted. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was his one year birthday today, so it was very fitting that he got to come back up to you guys. And you guys actually have another breeding on the ground right now, don't you? Of we the exact do. same pairing. We do. We're so excited. Yeah. They're well, what's really old. exciting about that is that breeding and that pairing was not only one that we really anticipated because those are just two really special dogs, but what those puppies displayed over this first year between how natural their mouth was, how composed and controlled they were, how trainable they were. uh, And then on top of that all, uh, their personality and family orientation, uh, it's it's panned out to be everything that we were hoping it would be. And so to have that repeat breeding is something we're super excited about. And I definitely know people love following along with Sprig series. And they were sad to see him go. (laughs) And they're like, oh, there's not going to be any more videos of Sprig. And we're like... No, not right now, but um, they do get to look forward to one last really awesome video that we got oh, to shoot today uh, with Sprig and his daddy. So it'll be pretty cool video coming out. So you'll have to watch for that. That's right. Awesome. So uh, we are back to answer questions. We got, uh, again, another overwhelming number of questions. We're going to get to as many of them as we can. Um, but we appreciate you all for asking. If this is your first time to the channel, guys, hit that subscribe button down below. Um, and turn on notifications so you don't miss anything else that we post in the future. Kat, get started. we're going to get it started off on a really good question, especially because Josh and Whitney, like we said, have Riverstone Kennels, and then Ethan and I have Standing Stone Kennels, so kind of interesting names. And the question is from Remy.dy from Instagram, how did you decide on a kennel name? What was the process and significance of what you chose? That is a good one. Yeah. So I actually love this question. Uh, we don't get it asked a ton. We don't either. So. Yeah. So I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say. <laughs> and about I'm this. interested <laughs> to hear what you guys have to say. Okay. So Riverstone Kennels. Uh, when when I well when we started Riverstone Kennels, uh, it was something that um, I really wanted the name to have a meaning. You know, and um, yeah, I had friends that, you know, would incorporate their name to it. Right. And so like, you know, Miller Kennels wasn't really something that tripped my trigger. And um, and I wanted there to be yeah, an impact. And so uh, it took quite a while, you know, and I, I really reflected a lot on, um, on what uh, what I wanted that name you know, to really signify as far as our company goes. And what I kind of fell on is that, um, you know, where I am in my career right now, I think has a lot to do with where I came from. Right. And so I wanted to kind of combine, uh, the past of what brought us here with the present and where we are. And so, uh, so river, uh, you know, came from, uh, the St. Croix river Valley, which sure. is where we currently live. Absolutely. And, uh, I would say that's a, a big piece of, you know, what, what we are and who we are. Uh, and stone actually came from, uh, it's a tiny town called stone Lake, Wisconsin. And that's where my grandpa had a cabin and that's where my passion for the outdoors really blossomed, you know? So I shot my first, my first deer up there, uh, my first duck, my first goose, my first grouse, uh, caught my first muskie. Caught, I mean, it was like everything that, uh, that drew me to the outdoors started in stone Lake. And so that's why your know, river and stone, uh, made so much sense to me. 
And uh, that's how we came up with the name. Wow. That's, that's a really good story. <laughs> and we should have gone first, totally first, because our story is not it's a, quite... It's drastically more um, business-oriented, drastically less uh, personal-oriented. sentimental. Yeah. So, uh, so um, wah, 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 if I could reach the button, I would hit it. Um, we actually started thinking of kennel names, and um, then Google searched them to see if they existed. We definitely wanted it to be original and to be standalone, stand out, so that people, when they heard of Standing Stone Kennels, it wasn't confused with every other Standing Stone Kennels that was out there, yep. um, which there's a lot of other names that you can probably think of that are very common, whether it's in the lab world or the short hair world or just any dog or just kennel. dog breeders in general. Yep. Like, I mean, I think there's a, um, a million Wild Rose Kennels. And we'll, You know like, what I mean? Yeah, it's, Wild Rose is a very common name, not just in labs, but in short hairs as well, in any breed, I think. Mm-hmm. So we wanted originality for sure. And uh, then we tried to stick with something that kind of had, a f- like you could say, yeah, that kind of has a feel of dogs. So standing stone, like on point, staunch, whatever. But um, ultimately it came down to, we thought of some names, went, that kind of sounds cool. Then Google searched them to see if they existed. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and it, it, it worked. worked out. It worked, right? <laughs> so it's it's interesting to see how we both came about coming up with the names. And it still worked right. for both of us. Totally. So. All right. For all of you guys that always want to know what we have in the cup, um, it is bourbon this evening. And it is Jefferson's uh, o- Ocean a- Aged at Sea. Mm, Voyage 19. That's all there is to it. <laughs> I don't like bourbon, so I'm <laughs> having a Corona Refresca. It's refreshing. And I'm pregnant, so I'm drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> very practical, very practical. Perfect. Next question. Next question. This is a good one from Matthias Mays, 1991, okay. on Instagram. I've rewatched the puppy training videos of Sprig as our new pup is coming in two weeks at eight weeks old. So in two weeks, they're getting their eight-week-old puppy. Awesome. Congratulations. Each video seems as a one topic per training session. Will you not start another topic before the first is as good as possible, or will you do three sessions a day with each time a different topic? So I thought this was a good question because uh, maybe in our video series, it wasn't super clear on exactly how that training progression went. And every video is a different training session, and those are done at different times. So it's not like we're doing session one of the day on teaching a puppy to sit and session two of a day teaching a puppy to kennel and session three of the day teaching recall. We're working on each thing until the dog shows a proficiency of that behavior before we're moving on so that we don't confuse them and we don't add um, confusion to the training. Yep. So we try, we personally try to um, have a good understanding of one thing, then we move on to something else. And then we have good understandings of multiple things. Then we start to incorporate them together. Um, do you guys see in your training, you do anything different or is it similar? Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we'd echo exactly what you're saying as far as, um, you know, it's more about going at the dog's pace and perfecting step one before you go to step two. Um, I really like, uh, kind of the analogy crawl, walk, run, because I think sure. too often you know, people want to go from, you know, step one, but they really want to get to step nine and they really rush everything to get to that point. And it'll never be a solid at step nine. If you don't go through two, three, four, five, six at the right pace. Yeah. Yeah. For, for like a very fresh in my mind example would be 
Today was the first day that Sprig ever ran doubles, mm-hmm. ever. But we put all of the steps in there, a lot of crawling because we've talked about that, but a lot of crawling happened. And then we started walking a little bit when I was like on the phone with Josh. I'm like, hey, uh, bro, what do we do next here? He's like, uh, well, uh, try this. I'm like, okay, we'll go do that for a little bit. But then we show up today and he says, all right, this is what I'd be doing with a young dog. And Sprig just came out and nailed it. So being able to have those things in place make a huge difference. I would definitely agree. Um, And once we get a really good understanding of each of those behaviors, you can incorporate them all into the same training session as well. So once you've got a puppy that can recall, a puppy that can sit, a puppy that that can kennel, um, you can do all of those behaviors in the same session and ask for that behavior and then only reward when the behavior you've asked for has been exhibited. I think that that adds a lot of confusion. Differentiation of the cue and the behavior. Yes, definitely. So great question. Great question. Next question from Instagram, Marshall Joe one, two, three. Is there such a thing as too much socialization? I bring my six month GSP to the dog park at my apartment every day and he plays with every dog. He's good at matching energy levels, but I'm wondering if this could lead to bad habits when hunting with other dogs. So, um, we are definitely not going to hoard all of the questions. We brought you guys, you so graciously joined us here to, um, and we want opinions of different people so that everybody's not just hearing what we got to say. What is your opinion on too much socialization? You go. Okay. So, uh, so socialization right now in the world we live in is a really interesting topic because, um, where we find ourselves or I mean, we're, we're avoiding any kind of socialization of any kind, right? Whether that's uh, people or stores or uh, activities. And so specifically, you know, we have litters of puppies that are going to be going home. And, uh, and this is a, a, a serious topic of concern because the last thing that we want is to put these puppies in these homes and, you know, heaven forbid this lasts another year. Do we really want the first year of that dog's life to be just solely socially distanced? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so I think one, we do have to think about that just given the time. Um, but as far as it regards to too much socialization, um, too much of anything in the, in the wrong light or in the wrong, um, situation is obviously a negative thing. Um, so if your socialization is, you know, is in a, an, uncontrolled environment or you're seeing, you know, habits, you know, come out of that. I mean, that's certainly going to, you know, have a negative impact on whether it's your home life, your training, uh, behavioral issues and so on. And so I certainly think that, uh, there can be too much social socialization. Um, Mm -hmm. but in a very controlled situation with very positive, few things going on, uh, the more, the better. I 100% agree. And I was going to say, Anything that your dog's doing consistently, they're conditioning themselves to. So if those are good things and good behaviors that go along with socialization, that's awesome. That's great. That's going to make your dog that much more mentally stable, that much more well-rounded, ready for harder training topics. Um, But if those are not necessarily good behaviors that they're conditioning themselves to, you are going to potentially run into issues with how the dogs interact with other dogs when they're in a hunting environment um, or just any other behaviors that are not wanted on a regular basis. So... Very true. Uh, Next question from Instagram. How do you handle a situation where a dog knows a cue well, kennel or hear, but occasionally doesn't listen? 
Eight-month-old GSP is collar-conditioned with vibrate, and we're working on getting him used to stimulation. He tends to freeze even with low levels of stim, so we're building him up carefully. Yep. It's from Andrew underscore Heine. Andrew Heine. Awesome question. So I'm going to start with this one, and then I definitely want to hear an opinion on if you see differently. The The biggest thing is, and this may be a more short hair-based thing, I mean, we could say specialized in short hairs and that's um, not 100% by design but definitely the fact that we breed and um, you know have that program that's primarily what comes back in we get a lot of our dogs and then people see that and then that kind of um, continues to feed that that people like oh they're short hair people so um, we work with a lot of short hairs and I would say that um, I've worked with a lot that continuous stimulation causes a freezing uh, behavior and I don't you know, I don't know if that's for all dogs, but definitely with a lot of dogs, I see that continuous stimulation causes the freezing behavior. So we use vibrate in our training and teach them to respond to that as a continuous based um, form of negative reinforcement. And then as they get good with that in controlled situations, when we move to those uncontrolled situations like what you're talking about, where there's a higher level of distraction, we'll use momentary or nicks on stimulation just to redirect focus. So it's like a tap and it says, hey. And then we go back to what hey. they know. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Hey. So, um, and that tap gets a little, you know, you poke a little harder if they don't pay attention. But it's <laughs> Draw. Well, uh, remember, those weren't real words. So um, as we work through that, though, we find whatever's going to pull their focus back to us. And then we switch back to something. You know, because that's all it takes. I and mean, if you already show an understanding to know that, all you need to do is redirect that focus, pull them back to you, and then they're going to comply with everything they know. I'd say for us, it might be a little different. Um, sure. You know, the way that we work our retrievers, I think, is a lot of, um, well, so anytime that we're using simulation, we're trying to mimic a leech. You know, I'll, we do so much on-lead work. Awesome. And uh, and the, the smoothest transition that we have found is try to replicate uh, the lead the best that we can with the e-collar. And so uh, when we ask a dog to sit, you know, if we hold up pressure on that lead, we have pressure on that lead until they sit down, right? Then that okay. pressure comes off. You know, sit is obviously a big one for us where, uh, you know, not sure what you guys do, but for our pointing dogs, we don't teach sit, um, at least not until after we have that wool really solidified and down. We typically don't collar condition our sits okay. until we've gotten our wool really well reinforced. I will teach sit through positive reinforcement, but I'm not going to reinforce it with negative reinforcement with the collar until we've gotten a really Which goes into the too much of anything isn't always necessarily a good thing. So I don't want to create sit to be the default in my pointing dogs, so we're trying but to they can it. understand what that behavior is, yep. I guess. Right. So you basically you're coming around to you're going to have collar pressure on with like a continuous stimulation the same as you would the leash pressure, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, you know, same for, you know, like a, a come, you know, if we were to reel them in on, on a check cord, sure. we would keep on that, that pressure until they came to us. Um, you know, but there's certain situations that, you know, with a, a lead, you know, we would give a bump and then that's where we'd give that, that momentary. And so for what we're, what we have going on, we're trying to mimic the lead the best that we can. Cool. Very cool. And 
I think something else that can be mentioned with this whole conversation of transitioning from vibrate to types of stimulation, whether that's momentary or continuous stimulation, that there's always a proofing process that needs to happen. Um, because most of the time these puppies, these dogs are going to respond really well in a very controlled environment to vibrate. And that's all that they're going to need or tone or whatever your collar has as that really mild type of stimulation. And then what happens is your puppy gets overamped and super excited about something and their adrenaline kicks in and then they can't focus on that just vibrate. Well, if that's the first time that you introduce that momentary or continuous stimulation on a higher level, you're not going to get the desired response either because your dog's going to be like, whoa, wait, what was that? Whereas if you can do that and proof that collar in those situations, you're going to be able to let your dog know that, hey, you can turn the collar off with these levels and the collar being used this way, the same way that you did with the vibrate. So perfect. Mm-hmm. Are there any other parts of that question? Nope. Nope. Awesome. I think that was it. Um, awesome. I think we've got time for one more and then we're going to go ahead and go to the break. Okay. Um, so this one would be a good one for the last question then from nundub28 on Instagram. Nundub. Hey guys, I have a year old GSP and have been trying to transition away from treat training with no luck. Would love to hear your process on transitioning away from treats. That isn't a, like a real quick question at the end here. I didn't say a real quick question. <laughs> I said a real good question to end on. Okay. See, See okay. what I did there? All right. So, uh, balls in your court. Balls in my court? No, down on the other end. We, well, we started We're, last we're talking GSPs now. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're talking dogs. Still, though, like treat training with your dogs at a year. First of all, whoa, 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 whoa. We're making assumptions here. Do you utilize treats in the beginning stage of your training at all? Mm. Only for very young puppies. Very Very young young puppies. Okay. And And then you move into eight, nine, ten weeks old. Sure. Then you move from that to leash training. Correct. Right? Correct. And then from leash training to collar condition. Correct. Perfect. Yep. Correct. Okay, so and, and a big reason for that is that you know we specifically with the retrievers and specifically our retrievers, uh, we're breeding in, and a lot of labradors in general have such a strong desire to please mm-hmm. that you know the treats are really, um, although it can be a big motivator to get them going, it's not something that uh, that we like to, nor do we feel like we need to lean on. Sure. And so, uh, you know, specifically when we get into retrieving work, uh, you know, in itself that retrieve is the reward, right? Or that Mm -hmm. praise, you know, especially Labradors. I mean, they just soak up that praise. Um, I mean, that praise is reward in itself. And so uh, what we have found is that if, if you lean too much or too long on treats, um, it can cause some issues for us down the road. Where they don't yeah. necessarily appreciate the other rewards that you're going to be offering them, which would be your retrieves and your praise. Correct. Because it yeah. might, in some dogs, might not be the same value as what that treat would be, and then they're expecting that. A- exactly, yeah. exactly. Yep. That's awesome. But so, still, your transitioning, your transition process could be also looked at similarly to a short hair or any breed of, you know, you start your basic obedience and training with that positive reinforcement that's a treat and then that transitions to other forms of positive reinforcement as well as your leash training and your collar conditioning Mm -hmm. so that would be where we would say is you need to make that transition which it may be a little bit more difficult now at a year old of your puppy or your dog at this point is so focused on that food reward and the treats Mm -hmm. and that's all that they want to work for that 
you know, you can teach an older dog new tricks. He's not that old. He's only a year, but he's been conditioned for the last, you know, 10 months of his life that that's what he has to look forward to. That's the response. And so we need to let him understand that there's other ways to comply with our cues than just receiving a treat when he wants to do the behavior. So, and with our typical short hairs, we're going to have, um, not a hundred percent opposite, but a lot of the opposite end of the spectrum in the sense that, you know, we breed a little more for independence because their main goal is to be out there working as opposed to be in here handling. Um, and we move from that positive reinforcement via food rewards to collar conditioning relatively quickly. Um, usually somewhere between four and six months, depending on the dog, kind of depending on how much focus and cooperation they have, we'll change that. And if you watch our series, so if you go to standingstonekennels.com slash links, you can actually click on um, Rogue Series, Quest Series, and then Sprig Series is on there as well. And you'll see, even though they're going through our training program, the progression is different. And the that's order based in off, which we do some of the training goals is different. Yep, and that's, that's all based off of their personality. So try and find which personality best matches and it's going to help you just see that progression and how we moved you know, what happened. In and how situation. we got away from just using treats in our training and how that looked. Perfect. Thanks guys for the questions. Uh, we're going to take a short break here and then we will be back with part two. All right, guys, uh, welcome back to part two of this week's Yawa. Um, if you didn't see part one, you, you should need to go back and watch it. Um, we have guests with us. We're actually guests to them and their guests. So it's kind of like an inner guest, guest circle. circle. Yeah. <laughs> um, Whitney and Josh with Riverstone Kennels. Uh, thanks, guys, for being with us. Let's get started answering questions. So first question of part two from Bruce or Rendorf from Instagram. Hi. Best way to have puppy nine weeks old stop biting and nipping at ankles and pants. I've already tried not wearing pants, but the neighbors have complained. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, 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 no. It truly says this. <laughs> I figured which you is, made that up. <laughs> which is hilarious. No, I don't have that good of a sense of humor. This is true. <laughs> oh. Harsh. A little awkward. <laughs> crickets. Is there a crickets button? There's not a crickets uh, button. I've memorized yeah. the buttons. Okay. All right, so how do we get puppies to stop biting? Biting comes up a lot, and I think we need to talk to the puppy expert on this one. Okay, I'll, I'll claim that name. Um, okay, so I think your puppy has started to make a game with your pants and your shoes and everything else. So Absolutely. When you're creating the movement away from your puppy, it's making your puppy want to go closer to you and chase. I think you need to create some movement towards your puppy to redirect your puppy and kind of catch it off guard a little bit. Make it not as exciting. Like, this isn't something fun. Maybe we should think of doing some other game. Now, this is something that I will say, um, as much as it's a very common issue that we hear and get questions about, Mm -hmm. it's uh, one we don't have a whole lot of videos on because our puppies don't uh, chase and bite everything. And I think (laughs) I had a little, I had a little, um, uh, Riverstone kennel puppy at my house and it also <laughs> didn't run around and chase and bite me all the time. So 
I think a lot of times too, we talk a lot about bind inhibition training, which if done properly can work on. It's the first step. It's the the first step, but it doesn't, it doesn't extinguish the behavior. It tells the puppy what level of force is allowed for biting, which is minimal force. um, Because we need to make sure that the puppy understands that people as a, as a whole are are, weak. We're fragile. So any amount of pressure that they use to bite us, our pants, our ankles, isn't okay pressure. And then once that training has happened, um, which has to be done properly, you can't make this bite inhibition training exciting as well, but then you need to be able to extinguish the behavior. And this is where we've all talked about it. Tough love comes Mm -hmm. into the equation. Uh, We can't be our puppy's best friend and be excited with them if they're doing things that aren't acceptable behaviors and that's where you have to say okay i need to either make this game not fun startle them out of it and then redirect their focus to something else so that we can say this isn't an okay behavior anymore absolutely so um we we do have a video out on bite inhibition training and this is something that comes up pretty regularly as people say well we tried the ouch method and that didn't work um i think that what gets missed in that is that the ouch method saying crying out acting as if um you were a litter mate in a sense puppies play with each other one bites the other one what happens the puppy cries and says ouch that hurt right so we need to do that ourselves in a in a slightly different um with a slightly different approach because a we're not puppies so we don't need to sound like puppies we need to sound like people and you yeah. say ouch that hurts and if they think that's a game you have to change inflection and tone and volume to say, to get the point across, say, hey, ouch, that really hurt. And then once they back off, you know, you got their attention and that's about the level that you need to stay with. And what that teaches is how much that they can bite you because biting is a very important part of puppy development. It teaches them how to, that's how they explore their world with their mouth. That's all they've got. They don't have hands, um, but our baby, and I'm sure yours very much the same, a lot of in things in their mouth. Long time. So it's how they explore their environment. So we can't take that away 100%. We just have to teach them when it's acceptable and when it's not. Once you have a dog that is not a heavy biter, like they get, a game becomes less exciting. As Whitney said to begin with, I mean, you need to stop this chase. They're, they're predators. They're designed to chase things. So the more you move, the more they're going to go after the flapping, moving pant legs or whatever else is going on. But then... Um, some tough love or some form of correction that says, hey, you know, a little grab of the muzzle and say, hey, knock it off, and then redirect focus. Give them yeah. something they can chew on. I, I yeah. think it's a little interesting to look at this in, in a different light as well, which is um, you know, the comment you made, Ethan, as you started this was, you know, you're, you don't really deal with this with your dogs too much. You had a puppy from us. You don't really deal with, right? So that's that's an environment thing, right? So So how do you change that? Well, what we find is often when you see you know, things like this where puppies are trying to entertain themselves, they're yeah. trying to figure out where who they are, right? That's that right. They need an outlet. And, and they're also trying yeah. to figure out in their new environment. They just came from their litter mates. They're coming into this new environment, and they're trying to figure out their role and find mm-hmm. out where they fall in the pack. Well, we always take the dominant role in that pack, and puppies don't play with the dominant pack members like that. So that respect is also a big part of that. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yep. Perfect. Next question. Okay. Let's roll with it. Rolling with it. From Sandon Josh. Sandon Josh. I don't know. On Instagram. Sorry if we butcher it. 
Tell so, us how to pronounce it. Sorry if I butcher it is what he means since I'm reading all the questions. At what age and time does progressive training slow down and it just becomes habit? I know they are always learning and training, but when do you say that's the best the dog is going to get and stick with it? So basically, I think the question is, when do you stop trying to challenge the dog, ask for more, and just be good with what you've got? When have they tapped out? What do you guys think? I, think I, I mean, tough. I really, it is a tough question. Yeah, it is and, really tough one. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on what your ultimate goals are for your mm-hmm. dog. And yeah. if you want an enjoyable family member that's a great hunting dog, I think that it's important um, to get to your level of training and then just maintain. Um, if you have aspirations to continue training to higher levels of achievement through testing, um, that you can continue asking for more. But eventually I think that your dog is going to tap out, if you will, and be like, okay, enough with the training crap and let me just enjoy my life and enjoy being a dog and enjoy being a hunting dog and a family member and stop pushing, pushing, pushing. But it's, again, what your dog has been bred for, what your ultimate goals are, um, and the age of the dog and their physical ability to continue working through that. I mean, we got grandpa. He's 14 years old. I'm not going to be trying to run him through any tests anymore. That's for darn sure. For sure. Um, Josh, I really like what you said earlier about this specifically. We were talking about, you know, dogs that can do things and everything else. And you had a really good way of putting this. Yeah. You mean like the, uh, the sports analogy? Sure. So my favorite analogy that, uh, that I like to compare this to is, um, so if, if I'm the basketball you know, coach and you bring me uh, you know, the kid that is mentally and physically built to be on the chess club, I could have him shoot free throws every day, practice every day, and at the end of the year, he's still not going to be you know, the all-star of the team, right? I mean, even if we take him from you know, first grade and progress him through when he's a senior high school, if he's just not built, you know, mentally and physically uh, to be at that level, he's not going to get there. He's not going to make the NBA. Never. And so we really do have to look at our dogs the same way. And this is where I'm so passionate about breeding and specifically very high quality uh, breeding. And, and when I say high quality breeding, I don't mean, and we could get in a whole other rant about oh, this, sure. but um, I really don't mean just looking at a piece of paper and looking at, at titles. Um you know, a lot of breeders are doing a lot of very good things, you know, whether it be, um, you know, personality traits, uh, you know, obviously athletic and, uh, you know, traits that we're looking for in the field. But uh, there, there's a lot to be said about breeding. And so when you're talking about uh, a dog that, you know, is, you know, tapping out or kind of you hitting a wall and doesn't want to go work, a lot of that does simply have to go down to what is in here. And if you don't have it in here, you can push that dog all day long, but you're not going to get there. 100%. So to answer the question specifically, when do you say you've tapped out? That really depends on the dog. And maybe okay. if you're kind of at that point where you're questioning, try and find a pro and do a consult and say, hey, this is kind of what I'm working with. And um, these are my goals. Are, is do my you dog see truly capable potential? of it? Yeah. Do you see potential to move forward or are we at the end of our ropes and I'm happy with a quality meat dog that can go and we can have fun together or you know, does my dog have potential to do the top end of the top end? So, you know, I I hate that answer because we have to give it a lot too, is it depends on the dog. It feels like such a cop-out answer. It does. But it's so true. 
And, and, and it's not part, fair to take a dog that might not be mentally and physically capable of doing what our mental goal is for them and to try and push them and push them and push them and make life miserable for that dog. Just let, if, if they're not truly capable of it, stop pushing them, enjoy them for what they are mm-hmm. yeah. and maybe do some better research for your next dog. If those are your goals of taking a dog to that level yep. and find something that's a little bit differently bred that could maybe achieve those goals, but be fair to the dog that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, absolutely. And whatever that level is, finding a breeder that has those goals in mind. And that's what, you know, I mean, you go, uh, like if you were to say, I want a dog to be an all age field trial champion. We would you do not you come go to somewhere us. else. Yeah, yeah, you do not come to us. That's what we were producing. Um, but you say, I'm looking for some, you know, something different. That's That fits into our category or your category. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it all comes down to what they're trying to produce. And you need to find somebody that's doing that. Otherwise, you're just going to be, you know, you're fighting against, you're swimming up current. You know, it's not, not an easy task. That is a really good segue to the next question that I think that we're all going to have a really good answer for. Maybe not even different answers for, but, well... I mean, we may have an answer and you guys may have an answer, but from Carly underscore bigger 22 on Instagram. Also, do you guys have a once in a lifetime dog that sticks out from the rest? If so, which one? You want to take Ooh, this that's first? That's a good one. Isn't it a good one? Because we were just yeah. talking about what these dogs can achieve and, you know, what they've been bred to do. And so right. I, I think this is a really good answer question to answer right after that one so i have an idea of what's going to come from that into the table (laughs) just because of of uh our relationship together which has been a a long we've known each other a long time how long have we known you is a long time because i remember meeting you at our first we're going to just take a second cabela's in rogers minnesota (laughs) i thought i was big stuff we got we were the pros (laughs) yeah at a cabela's dog that's right that's right yep there were like four people that wanted to see us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and there was one guy that asked me to move so that he could see the collar section better. You know? <laughs> it's like, hey, excuse me. We don't really care that you're here, but we want to see the collar. So can you move along? <laughs> but anyway, so what? we just had a segue like there. So dog. you have such a sappy story for yours. Yeah, but like you, you might even be different than me. Yeah. What do you got? Yeah, you don't. I don't. You guys know. don't have to I'll, agree. I'll have. So let me twist this question a little bit for you. Sure. Oh gosh. Okay. Who's your dog right now? Like who? Who is oh. like the your dream dog that you Bud. have right now? My boy Bud. Why? Because he, him, his personality and my personality, I feel like are very similar. We can get down to business and work, or we can go out and have a great time. And we know when we need to work and when we can have a good time. And he's super chill, easy going. And so he's totally my dog right now. See, and I've actually watched that relationship with you and Bud from a very different light, which we've never talked about. <laughs> oh, um, ooh, so, ooh, so, yeah, this is going to be good. Yeah, it's so getting juicy. This, well, this is interesting. Quick, make some popcorn. This is interesting. <laughs> right? So um, so in, in our breeding program, uh, this has been uh, a very long road, right? Because uh, I've spent a lot of time overseas selecting very specific dogs, bringing them in uh, specifically at younger ages so that I could work with them, see what their trainability was like, see what their strengths and weaknesses were like. Because when you get a finished dog, you have no idea no what they idea. were as a puppy. That's to exactly get right. Here. What yes. did it take? What did it take? That, that might even be the bigger yeah. question, right? Because at, you know, as a customer, you are going to inherit what, what's 
naturally in that dog, not mm-hmm. what it Genetics. took to get mom and dad. Folks, right. it's and, genetics. That's right. And and that's also one of the reasons I'm so big on there. I mean, we field trial, we you know, hunt test. There is certainly a place for those titles. And I think that they're, they carry weight, but mm-hmm. not all the weight because of that reason. That's I'm getting a whole different uh, road. But Bud to Whitney, I think the reason that, um, that I see they're so close is because Bud was one of the first dogs that she immediately connected with after, you know, brought him in and to be quite honest with you i didn't even know if bud was a dog we were going to keep and so i first met bud uh i was actually fly fishing over in in scotland and wait uh, wait 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 wait. what he gets yeah. to go fly fishing yeah. in scotland to pick his dogs <laughs> i i have i've been fly fishing overseas i've been uh red steak hunting roe deer hunting uh, right it's uh it, man, it's 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 an experience. Do they breed short hairs in Scotland yeah. that we can go see? <laughs> I'll check for you next okay. time there. Yes, yes. Um, but so I met Bud as a he was a young dog. He was probably seven months old, you know, something like that. And uh, and I was fly fishing on this estate uh, called Glen Eagle. And okay. So I was I was on the Glen Eagle estate, and a friend of mine um, actually manages the estate, you know, for the wildlife, for the you know deer and the stag and everything else, and. Uh, he had Bud in the back of his uh, truck, just like he does all of his dogs. And uh, when I say all of his dogs overseas, it's very minimal. So it's like all three of his dogs. Not nah, gotcha. like gotcha. over here, it's like all 20. Yeah, he's got um, a, tr- he's got a right. gooseneck trailer. <laughs> right. So, um, so when I was going fishing, he asked me, his name's Tom, and Tom said, you know, Josh, could, would you mind just taking you know my young dog with you and just let him exercise and get, you know, absolutely, I'll take him with. And so... Bud and I went for a walk and I'd sit him down on shore. I'd go yeah, into the water. I'd fish. He'd sit there again, seven months old, just chills can be with somebody that he's down. never really met before. Right. Just right. this random guy. That's right. Mm-hmm. And he'd sit and just hang out. And then I'd come out, move down you know, the waterway. He'd go with me, sit down, watch me fish. And uh, when I got back that day, I immediately started the conversation of how do we get this dog to the U.S.? <laughs> yeah, specifically New Richmond, Wisconsin. And uh, so when I brought him in, um, not only because you're right, I mean, you guys personality wise connected mm-hmm. you know, right yeah. away. But mm-hmm. uh, development wise, one, Whitney was really involved with his development between you know, socialization and um, and just kind of that that young dog development that we all go through. And hang on one second. Mm-hmm. When we bring in these dogs, Josh and I look at them totally different, right? Like I'm looking for a great family dog, good with kids, can be really chill, like an overall really good family dog. Mm-hmm. That's what side I look yeah, for. Yeah. Josh looks at a totally different at the working dog side of exactly. it. Exactly. But right. both of your guys's input is what creates the dogs that you're wanting to produce. That's right. Yes, they have yeah. to. I feel like both. Ethan and I also have similar aspects of what we look we've at had a lot of those conversations exactly yeah. what you said there's like i don't know if yeah. this dog's gonna make the cut and she's like yep. yeah but and then i'm like <laughs> okay now i see it, it mm-hmm. you know right. maybe it takes sense. a smidge longer or whatever but it's it's it pops up right yeah. well and that was me with bud so like right away i'm like eh. yeah. you know he's he's great looking has a lot of things i like but i don't know if he's gonna hit that level because you know, all of my dogs i want I'm yet to meet the, the person that's like, everybody says I want the best family dog. I want to be great with my kids. I want him to go everywhere with me, right? Sure. But I'm yet to meet the guy that's like, if he's terrible in the field, eh, it's fine. 
Yeah. Like everybody still wants they gotta to have, have both, right? And so I didn't know up front right away, first impression, I didn't know if Bud was going to have that. Sure. And Whitney was adamant that he was. And so I think that's one of the, and he has developed into a complete monster. She was his yeah. advocate. That's right. right? And yeah. so the reason he's I got to watch him today. Oh, uh, yeah. And? <laughs> uh-huh. and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good he, choice. Yeah. He And so I, I think that that's one of the reasons that, uh, that Bud's so special to you. Yeah. He's a good boy. Yeah. For, you know, for me, I, I think uh, it's a hard question because uh, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of really great special dogs. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I'd say, you know, Brock's one of those dogs, you know, for me that, I mean, I, I put him up against anybody. You know, I mean, he's just extremely special. Um, yeah. But also, he had me in a time of my life where I had the knowledge and, you know, the situation, everything to get him there. For sure. Um, the, the dog that did it all for me was Easton and who you guys met. Yeah. Uh, and that day yeah. in Rogers. And um, I guess the reason why he's so special to me is because I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys if it wasn't for him. You for know, sure. I mean, when I got him, I just, I was a, you know, 15 year old kid at the time. I just wanted a, a duck hunting partner because I was kind of the black sheep of my family. My family was deer hunters. I love duck hunting, so I would go duck hunt by myself. And yep. so um, I just wanted a companion, and um, he turned out so much in spite of me rather than because of me. And, uh, and you know, almost on the flip side of it, Easton had me at the complete wrong time in my life, uh, and I had him in the complete right time, right, because he changed the trajectory of my career path where, for me, like, I couldn't afford to take Easton – anywhere you know like easton hunted almost exclusively western wisconsin his entire life because i sure. couldn't afford to do anything else you know brock this last year hunted like you know nine different states in like you know 60 some days and i mean it's just it's, it's incredible the difference um and so it's really hard for me to say like is is there one dog but i think like each stage of my life and i'm sure there'll be another one or two or three um but i think i think each stage of my life i've had i've been very fortunate to have one that's very special that's awesome. That's really interesting because you think about it and you're like, well, if those dogs had been reversed, would that have been a completely different situation for you as well? Mm-hmm. Um, it makes you really think. Yeah. You can get really deep about these Especially when you get the opportunity to have lots of dogs. I mean, yeah, lots of right. dogs. And we have that huge dynamic or um, demographic of dogs to pull our experiences from, which is really interesting. So um, I want to hear from Ethan. Before I put my two cents in here. Okay. So my dog of a lifetime, once in a lifetime dog, whatever. I don't think he's a once in a lifetime dog, um, but he's, what is Let the, me what clarify are the, words? the question Give me the for words. him because, you know, words. Give the words. Oh, I Math. lost my spot. Oh, oh, got it, got it. Do you guys have a once in a lifetime dog that okay. sticks out from the rest? If so, which one? It was very well said because at the same time I say... I, I expect to have more dogs as good or potentially better, or I'm not doing my job. Yeah, that's our hope is to always continue We're our continuing to grow and, and program that way and try that. So um, what he said is the, the, the dog of that era or the dog of that time period. Um, and that for me is Vex. A lot of you guys have seen him or seen what he does. And the biggest thing for me is um, he has in my opinion for what we're looking for, which is a family oriented versatile hunting companion and versatility in, in a whole, you know, so be able to come in, lay on the floor, lay on the couch, hang out, behave, um, be sweet with our little boy. You know, he's like rolling around on his back playing with him, um, which is a new stage in our life. And, 
but then at the same time, turn it on in the field, go duck hunting with us, go field, you know, field goose hunting with us, do all of the things, do it patiently, do it well. Um, and then trainability wise, it's one of those things where he, he falls into that category of, um, and, and I say this lovingly, people hear me say this and think that I, uh, misunderstand. Think it's not a compliment. Yep. He's just dumb enough that he doesn't constantly challenge everything. Not so pushing once you, the envelope constantly. Once you can teach him something, he gets it. And he's like, got it. That's how this works. And, and he loves how, to do it. Yep. Done. We can do that together from here on out. And that is a big thing that I think gets overlooked. People are like, oh, my dog's so smart. Well, yeah, that's why it can figure out how to know when you've got one eye turned away and dig in the garbage and you not even know what happened until you go, didn't I just throw uh, something away over here? And the dog's over here licking its chops and or sleeping, you know, like I didn't move. Or the um, dogs that can, you know, escape any crate, you know, those are yeah, so very intelligent and kind of those troublemaker dogs. For me, that that's him. You know, he flew through training. He just, you know, gives you that wow factor. And and I would say that the average person comes out and watches all of our dogs. The number one dog that I hear about is him, and and it's because he he emits this aura around him you know it's just you can't help but notice him so well i also love vex uh he is so easy to handle he is a joy to have in the field with you it's not a stressful situation i mean obviously anytime i run a dog in a test i there's always a little bit of stress because you want them to do well a and you little really bit of stress i feel like vomiting every time before we cast a dog off. try running nicks and then run vex and you won't feel the level of stress um <laughs> nicks is a handful he lives up to his name of nothing but trouble but uh i would say i also really like vex but i wouldn't necessarily call him my dog of a lifetime i'm still hoping for that dog for myself uh, I think the first dog that really started doing it for me was our first dog, Shooter. Um, and unfortunately, we lost him at just over a year and a Don't half. Don't recycle names. So it Shooter 1 so died. Shooter 2 is still alive. Live and well, no. living, living with our yeah, buddy Peter in Texas. So uh, not Shooter 2, um, but Shooter 1, who is actually Nix's brother from a different litter. So let's add some more confusion there. Um, and I would say that he was the first dog that I said, wow, this is what a short hair can do. So impressive. He was so natural. Ethan ran him through his natural ability test and I got to watch and it was just, wow. I was so impressed. I didn't have a lot of knowledge as far as what the expectations of dogs were at this point in our Mm -hmm. lives. Um, I remember Ethan telling me stories about him guiding with him at, you know, five, six months old, he would go on point with a rooster in his mouth. I mean, that kind of, wow, that is an awesome situation. Um, did he have his quirks? Did he have his faults? For sure. Uh, but he set the stage for what I was hoping that we could always come back to and find another dog that could start on that path. Um, because like I said, we did lose him too young. He was just reaching that prime in his life of being able to handle more advanced testing and training. And, um, I would say he was my dog of a lifetime, and thank goodness we got another puppy very shortly after he passed away because I was in that stage where I'm like, there will never be another dog that I can love as much as him because he was taken away way too young. It was a terrible, tragic situation. Um, uh, died of a grass-on infection. Born in body his chest infections, yeah. yeah. So. 
Um, and we did everything that we could for him, but we didn't know what was going on um, in the beginning. And we didn't find out until it was pretty much too late and we tried everything, but he was just too far gone at that point. Uh, but he was definitely the dog that I didn't think we could ever replace. And not that we've replaced him, but there's going to be more great dogs like him that have the potential that he had that I want to keep seeing and um, get another one that's my own. Because as much as I love Nix and as much as he was my first dog that I took through everything, um, he is a pain in the ass. And I love him for it, but that's not exactly what I want and, my and dog of a lifetime would, to be. I would say that's probably an understatement. <laughs> Just a, a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he... he lovingly um referred to him as punky for like the first year of his life so if you <laughs> have any idea you can be a little bit of a handful he's that almost too smart for his own good type of dog oh, sure. um but i learned a lot from training him too so yep they make us who we are definitely yeah. awesome I think guys that's, that's probably uh, all we have yeah go ahead <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably all we have time for in part two but we will be back in part three so thank you guys for watching we'll be back with you soon righty guys uh welcome bar Welcome back to part three of this week's Yawa. Um, if you haven't watched part one, two, you're missing out. We have guests and we're guests and it's a circle of guestness. We discussed this earlier. Um, Whitney and Josh with Riverstone Kennels here with us. And we're going to get started right away and see how many questions we can get through for you. Okay. Starting it off with an Instagram question from Carly underscore. Something upbeat. We got a little sappy last time. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> this isn't sappy, but um, so Carly underscore bigger 22. I've heard a dog can become collar smart to the collar, and I've been told to keep the collar on when the dog isn't in a crate. What's your guys' opinion on this? Also, love you guys and the channel. Aw, thank you. you th mm. They love you, so you should start this <laughs> one off. Got it. So I am um, a big believer that, yes, dogs can become collar smart. But collar smartness comes from one thing, and that is not, um, uh, it comes from asking for things that you cannot reinforce or don't reinforce. So, Improper um, use of the collar is part of that. Yeah, but ultimately what it comes down to is if you're asking for something that you can't reinforce, you shouldn't be asking it. And I think I.e., give an example. Um, so we take the dog outside and we say, here, they have no check cord on them. They have no collar on them. We've had a basic understanding of what here works. And we think, let's throw them to the wolves and see if they can survive this. Here, oh, look at that. A butterfly takes their attention that way. And now we either say here again or here again or here again or here again or get frustrated or try and chase the puppy down or coax them back by grabbing a treat bag and shaking it. And all of these things create issues and then finally we catch the puppy and we throw their collar on them and we say now i'll show you now you're gonna listen now you've got a collar smart dog because they feel you just taught them this is how this works and i would say the other side of that is the people that put the collar on the dog good first step 
but then say, I don't even have to charge the transmitter because I never have to push the button. Well, if you never have to push the button and your collar's dead, and then you do have to push the button, then you've also set yourself up for that situation where you can't reinforce the behavior that you're asking for. So um, there's two things that we think are very, very important in training. One of which is timing. That's what I always categorize as. And I had a discussion with another trainer in this, and he um, uh, basically pushed me, forced my hand that I have to give a number one thing. Number one thing for me in dog training is timing. That is the most important thing. The second most important thing would be consistency. And they are very, they're like neck and neck-ish, but it's it's timing and consistency. Yeah, and so you know, just to add on to that, you know, for us, um, so we actually have a board in our back room, which is our training room. And uh, so I'm, if you guys have noticed that I'm really big on my boards and quotes and saying. <laughs> Whiteboards yeah, I like everywhere. It. Yeah, I like it. Um, but, uh, you know, we, our general rule that we have on that board, and it never leaves, is never give a command that you cannot reinforce. And, I mean, we have to remind ourselves that each and every day training wise. Um, I think when you get in a home situation that increases tenfold. Um, well, it gets hard. Oh, 100% yeah. because so, yeah. when you're being paid to train a dog or you're training a dog for a specific task and you get them out for that training session, you can be very black and white, very consistent. But when they're part of your family and hanging out in the house, it's easy to get sloppy and not have those same level of expectation. Okay it's just day. my dog. It's just yeah, whatever. Um, we like to use the saying, the shoemaker's children have no shoes. Well, the dog trainer's children have no manners. Well, that's not typically the case completely, but, um, we're definitely not as consistent as we probably should be. And sometimes it shows with our personal dogs yeah, versus that's what dogs. I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There it has a little bit. So you are human. These things happen. It happens to all of us a little bit. Um, but definitely being able to only ask for things that you can reinforce are, is going to be the key to preventing those issues. So. Next question from Boosted Deuce One on Boosted Instagram. Deuce. I heard you say that you have some of your puppies coming back for training. If the pup is raised by the owner, then with you for a couple of months for training, do the pups remember their owners when they get picked up? Does the pup's personality change during the training? Is that original bond still there? Thank you. Love your videos. So what do you guys think? I'm sure you get this question a lot. And I'm sure you a get a lot. lot of your puppies back in for training. So Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We love when our puppies come back. That's right. It's like a little family reunion. Right? Mm-hmm. You get a post. Look at this. Two, yeah. three, four, five dogs. Look at their brothers, sisters. Exactly. Do you want to take it or want me to? It's up to you. Um, well, I'll give the short answer. You can give the All long right. one. Absolutely. They remember you 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's funny. So I, uh, I spoke at a, uh, it was a, dog trainers, you know, convention. Sure. Uh, down in Orlando, Florida. This was, this was like four or five years ago, maybe it was quite a while ago. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I was on right after, uh, an animal psychologist that you know, went through all their thoughts and, um, they said, and it was something, it was something crazy. Like a, a dog can't recall after it was like something like 48 hours. Right. Like, and so, you know, they can't recall, they can't have that. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's, I see this every day that that's incorrect. Right. So, uh, I got up there and whether it was right or wrong, I, I gave my opinion right away. <laughs> sure. And, uh, I said, man, I wish I could have been in that. <laughs> right. Well, and so, you know, for us, I mean, we have people that send dogs in not for, you know, three weeks, but for three, four, five, six, seven, eight months. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, yep. now, you know, the longer is, is pretty abnormal, but in probably every, an average of three to four months of training. Yeah. 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 That, that, that'd be a good average. And not once 
have we ever had a dog take more than three seconds to remember the owners? It doesn't matter how long they are away yep. and you know, they, they lose their mind. And that's why when we bring the, the owners into you know, the fold, as far as the training you know, aspect goes, um, that first initial uh, bit, I mean, we're not training, you know, we're kind of putting yourselves in the dog shoes, you know, and going, he is going to lose his mind. He's all full of yeah. emotion. He's going to be all over the place. This is not the time for you to go, okay, now we're going to heal, sit, come, right? You have to get that kind of out of the way. And I think the owners want and expect it, honestly, because if yeah. you would, if you would set that dog up to be like, you're going to be a machine, you're going to sit here, you're going to be well-behaved, and then the owner comes into that situation is like, oh, they're they not even excited they to see me. They don't even care that I'm here, mm-hmm. and they yeah. want to see their dog love them and that they miss them and they want mm-hmm. to see them. So I think that we're doing an injustice if we have unrealistic expectations in that situation. Yeah. And, yeah. and for us, you know, we oftentimes get the comment that oh, I, I don't think they want to leave. I think mm-hmm. they love being here more than they do at home, which is, is, is what we want. Um, but one of the things that, that we talk a lot about is, um, which I'm sure you guys do the same thing. And, and I, I don't know that it's maybe common practice, you know, in, in a kennel situation, you know, maybe it is, but we try to do a lot of relationship building with the dogs because I believe that that really helps us progress forward as far as our training goes. Um, but it also, you know, creates a, a confidence and a happiness, you know, inside the kennel and inside the environment that they're now in sure. uh, rather than just throwing them in a kennel run, taking them out for the little bit of training they have each day and putting them back in. And, uh, you know, Every time I give somebody a tour of the kennel uh, or when I bring a dog out to demonstrate, um, I always tell them, just look at the dogs. Mm -hmm. They're not going to lie to you. If they're happy, they're going to tell you they're happy. If they're not, they're going to tell you they're not. And I think that's the one thing that that people can really take comfort in, especially people that are on the fence. Uh, We get a lot of uh, um, situations that the dog was at a kennel and it was a very poor situation. Yeah. Right? A, yeah. A Unfortunately, nightmare. there are, there are a lot of those that happen. Right. Yeah. And so you know, we talked about this a little, a little bit today, Ethan, where, um, you know, you watch a dog, you know, that I ran today that was in a situation like that and she was you know, a complete meltdown situation. And now she's confident, she's happy, she's mm-hmm. enthusiastic. And, you know, we take a lot of pride in not only, you know, reversing, you know, that type of a situation, but also, um, the, the relationship with the owner or the person, you know, think about how much extra trust that they person had to have, have to, to have try have. it oh, again. It's, try yeah, it's again. huge. For sure. Yeah. So, for sure. Um, that's a priority of ours for sure. Absolutely. And that's really important for us as well as building that trust and that confidence and that bond with that dog to train because they need to want to work for you if you're going to be able to accomplish anything. And very true. You look at a dog, you know, if they're happy to be there, I would say the same about dogs that come in for training anywhere from two to seven to eight months of training, uh, they remember their owners. And sometimes there's a dog or two that takes a little bit longer and they're like, wait a minute. Oh yeah. And then they smell them. And then they focused on training, focused on training or, you know, we have a lot of activity at the kennel where we've got other clients coming in for training sessions with their dogs and consults and, um, all that activity. So the dogs don't always recognize that when somebody comes through the door, that's their owner. It's, Oh, this is just another person coming through the door. And then when they're like, Oh wait, that's my person. And then you're right. They just, they kind of just lose lose their their mind. Yeah. They lose their mind and get all crazy. They do their zoomies. They get all excited. And then we have to be like, okay, let's take this down a notch because that craziness is getting a little excessive. And I know that you're happy to see your dog and your dog is obviously happy to see you, but let's actually show you that they can behave because most people, yes, they love and expect that their dog 
will act like that with them when they just get back, but they also just paid us to have their dog trained and right. obedience is a huge part of that. So then, and most people don't want their dog to jump all over them and act like an idiot on a regular basis. Um, that's something that they came in for training to get rid of. So then we say, okay, this was our one and done. Now we need to show you how to handle your dog into the situation where they aren't going to act like an idiot and jump all over you. So, so no, the dogs do not forget you. Yes. Next question. It's a long way of saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Whitney started that off by saying, the short answer to that question <laughs> right. is absolutely. I'm, I'm good they don't at the long you. answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. she knows you pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. She called that one. Um, next question from Manda Christine. Christiane. Uh, I don't know. Um, from Instagram. We are bringing home our eight week old GSP puppy in a few weeks. Exciting. Do you recommend crating him during the night? And if not, what do you recommend? I'm a big advocate for sleeping in bed with you for the rest of their life. <laughs> that is false black bear. Are you, are you serious? Oh. No. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> no, I said. You might have to elaborate on that. No, false no. black bear. So even, and I, if you ever want your puppy to be comfortable in their crate, they need to learn crate training. Even if you for, don't want them to be comfortable, like you, that's not something in the forefront of your mind that you, you need want to think a about dog. The You're future. Like, no, no, they'll just be their family members. They need to be part. But you need to think about the future and the fact that your dog will eventually, most likely, need to be crated at some point in their life, whether that's crated for transportation or if you have to board them, they may be crated or at least in a kennel run, something like that. So if you set your puppy up for, well, we always sleep in bed, then they think I that's the norm. Folks. I know. That's the norm. That's what I look. should expect. And now you're expecting me to go in this crate. Well, that's BS and I don't want it. And they're going to fight that situation even more. Definitely makes it tougher. Whereas yeah. if from day one you set it up as this is our routine as we play, mm-hmm. we train, we do all the things. And then at night it's crate time and you have to quiet down and it has to be part of your routine. And then, I mean, our dogs don't sleep in crates for the rest of their lives, but probably for that first solid year, that's the expectation. We get out during the day, we train, we hang out, we're part of the family. We sleep in a crate overnight. A, I don't necessarily feel I can trust an under one-year-old dog to not chew up a pair of shoes or chew on the, you know, bed frame or, or worse something than overnight. Just, you know, having a little destruction like that, but actually ending up with something that causes a serious medical issue like a bowel mm-hmm. obstruction. A or, blockage or something because they yeah. ate, you know, your sock in the middle of the night and you didn't know it. And then yeah. that causes a problem. So typically we don't feel like we can trust a dog out overnight until they're at least a year. But then when we hit that point, we have four dogs sleep out on dog beds overnight, and then we have more than four dogs that we own personally. So, it's so they rotate. Rotation. Mm-hmm. So this night, these dogs got to sleep out. Tomorrow night, they're going to be crated, and the other four dogs are going to be out, and it's just a rotation. So the nights that they get crated, they don't cause a fuss. The nights that they get out, they absolutely love it. But um, we're setting them up for that success and that expectation from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I would also add that sometimes they like that smaller area. And that well, if you can see it, yeah, if you go and watch a puppy and where they go and lay down, it's usually in a smaller area, smaller confined area. So it might actually help them sleep better. Absolutely. And I think that people like to humanize dogs and personify mm-hmm. and think, well, I wouldn't want to be put in a crate and locked up all night long. So my puppy wouldn't like that either. Well, 
puppies aren't people. They mm-hmm. are descendants from wolves, which are den creatures, which like that closed, yeah. small space, dark, comfy, cozy, safe. So, um, yeah, to try- touch on the puppies are not people thing. That, that's one of my first things when dog comes in. We have to say, first, we're going to teach your dog how to be a dog. Yeah. And then we can start to train them. And it's not every dog that comes in, but there are a few of them that are believe they are way too close to the people category. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for this next question. Awesome. From Grundy on Instagram. When did you realize that gun dog training was the job you wanted? Oh. <laughs> oh. When uh. Josh said we were starting to kennel. <laughs> <laughs> Whitney's like, okay. <laughs> right, here we go. Sure, we can do this. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, so for me, um, I, so I, first, let me preface this. I don't believe that anybody, uh, nobody that I've ever met that is in this profession has like from, you know, early on said, this is what I want to do and had a career path to go do this. It's really interesting. Everybody has their own little you know path. But mine was um, Easton, who I think was it the last episode yep. that we talked about? I think about we him? talked about it in the last episode. Uh, so go back and watch it if you haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, better, better make sure. That part, was a good two, one. We all two, talked, we talked about, about our, our yeah. dog of a lifetime. So yeah. it's a well, good one. So, uh, so Easton for me, um, he... Uh, he was you know, a dog that I had you know, young in my life, you know, probably from age you know, 16 to, what, 29, you know, some, somewhere in there. Um, and so uh, he, was, he was in a very crucial part of my life, right? And so um, I, as I kind of went through uh, my career path, uh, he, he was kind of intersecting that. And um, he was extremely successful at everything that we ran in. And... Uh, he made, he made me enjoy it. And it was really because of him that I said, you know, I, I really like this. I like being a part of this. I love teaching. I love reading, you know, the dogs. And, uh, from there I went and I, you know, mentored under a few different people to make sure, right. Because so wait, 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 this. You didn't just jump and you had one dog and you didn't just start your own you business. You didn't just say I'm a professional that, dog trainer. That that sounds like that might be a pet peeve of yours. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, no comment. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. we'll move on. Um, so uh, so you know after I uh, went through that and I mean it was years of course of doing that. Yeah. Um, you know that's when I kind of came back and said this is this is a career for me. Absolutely. I actually did not know people sent their dogs away. To get trained until Josh and I started dating. <laughs> I said, what? Surprise. You know, you just think about that, honestly. I don't, I mean, before we really started working on it, I don't believe that I really put much thought in you because we had a dog growing up, you know, and he was yeah. just a dog. Yep. She was just a dog. She was a pain in the butt because we had no idea what we were doing. We also had just a rescue pound dog that I wouldn't have thought twice about training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I taught it some little house tricks at the house that didn't really do all that well. And yeah, that was about it. No. So, and then you became a dog trainer and then I became a dog trainer. <laughs> and that's just, it. Like, that's how it happened. Like that. So, um, for me, it's, uh, it's similar. You know, like you said, it's not, I didn't start as a kid going, Hey, I want to grow up to be a dog trainer. Um, I actually started in the, uh, computer field. I was always a technology based guy. Love that aspect of things. And, um, played football and actually looked at the potential of having a career playing football, at least through the collegiate level, um, and blew up my knee really, really bad. 
and it took uh, three surgeries and over a year worth of physical therapy between all of that stuff before I was back to mediocre. Being able um, to walk, walk, exercise, get around, mm-hmm. do some stuff. So that really put a damper on the whole, we're going to play football for a while thing. And I kind of turned into. Then uh, he met me. Uh, about the same time. Yeah. yeah. And at I the met same him time, because you blew out your knee. Yeah. I was supposed to be at football camp. Instead, I went to a um, rendezvous, which rendezvous. we talked about in some of their yep, we've yawas. Talked to, yep, and I ran into this lovely lady, and uh, we'd met before, but it really gave us a lot of time to spend together, and it changed I my him. life. Yeah, so I was a uh, glorified neck beard sitting there, you know, computer in it. And, um, uh, <laughs> what? I've never even heard that saying. Really? Uh, pretty sure you just made it up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, if you have heard of a neckbeard and you know what I'm talking about, throw it in the comments below. We want to hear from you and make sure I'm not crazy. He's crazy. Um, but I moved from that to doing a lot of computer-based stuff, and that happened to move into helping the high school that I worked at for their networking department. I worked for the guy as credit for school uh, for half of my day, actually. That was part of it. Um, moved to a new school, took a job. Fixing computers for the Geek Squad. He's Drove the bug. Wow. And um, and then I paid my way through the portion of college that I finished before I dropped out. Um, fixing computers. And that technology knowledge um, kind of drove me toward what became a job. I got a dog. Uh, crazy Sammy. I've always been one. Yeah, crazy mm-hmm. Sammy. We've talked about her before. Um, I've always been one of those people that felt like I can do anything I set my mind to. You know, I'm a go-getter. I like, uh, yeah, I can do that, whatever. It's a dog, right? You just read everything. You learn everything. You can teach any dog to do anything if you put enough time, effort, and energy into it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've had this conversation before. We just yeah. talked about that. And right. that but was, this was back when we knew nothing. Uh, yeah, that was the mindset that I came into. So I, I got a, the newspaper, right? I got a dog. I went there solely with the mindset of if it's not this right color, I'm not leaving without it. Lucky um, she was the right color. She happened to be the right mm-hmm. color. So I took her home, and it was a complete disaster. And then I reached out. I started scouring the internet. I found nothing until I and came across. And that was back in the day when there wasn't a thousand videos on how to train yeah, your dog. Yeah, YouTube online. wasn't as big, and there wasn't as much online knowledge. So I read some books and went, yeah, man, I really know not a whole lot about this. So we reached out to a professional um, and did some you know, barter business of, I could help you with some of this technology-based stuff to grow your business. If you could help me with the dog, it turned into a full-time job. And then after apprenticing for years, um, we moved out on our own to start our own kennel. What he said. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, we were married, so I was kind of along for the ride at that point in our lives. And well, along for the ride, but also separate. So I'll add my little two cents into this story. So um, got the opportunity for that to turn into a full-time gig. So that's where Ethan's story kind of left off. Well, for that to happen, we had to leave North Dakota, which is where we were living and where we'd gone to school at UND. Fighting Sioux, not whatever they're called hey, now. Sue, Sue. Um, and <laughs> so I was working at Sam's Club in the business office. So I was taking care of deposits and things like that. And so the fighting hawks. I think, is that what they're doing? Yeah, they're the Mm -hmm. fighting hawks. Interesting. Anyway, so Ethan moved to do this in Minnesota. I'm stuck in North Dakota. So I'm like, how do I get out of North Dakota to be with Ethan? 
the way I did that was take a job at Walmart. Oh my god! It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Gives it you a lot of imagine. respect for the people that put up with wow. that. Yes, like people, and I have a lot of respect for the people that have to deal with the people because. There are so many rude people that shop at Walmart and they take everything out on the poor cashiers and the poor customer service managers that truly have no control over how many registers are open. I digress. But anyway, so I worked there for a while. It was very difficult. And I was basically biding my time going, what can I do until there's another position that opens up at the kennel that Ethan's working at? Because I have always loved animals, loved dogs. We had our own short hair. I saw what he was getting to do on a daily basis. And I was like, I want to do that too. But small businesses don't always have a million positions to fill. So I kind of had to wait until something became available. And then I was also able to start that apprenticeship and start learning a little bit more hands-on, not just living vicariously through Ethan and his dog training experiences. So then when that became an option, then I took it. And then, again, we, we did that for a few years and then ventured out on our own. For sure. So those are my two cents. We got uh, another one or two short uh-huh. ones. Uh, yes, this is a good one from Leah Phi on Facebook. We're finally getting to some Facebook ones, so don't feel left out, Facebook. Do you recommend e-collar training for non-hunting GSPs? We plan to mush, kick sledding, ski joring, bike joring, and cane across nice. with our dog and also want a very well-trained family dog, so not sure if this is something we should pursue. Short answer, yes. Mm-hmm. The collar conditioning, like we talked about in... Does it need a long answer? Watch part one and two. That's what I was just going to say. Collar conditioning. Yep. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. So absolutely, yes. Watch part one, two, and you'll see what our answers were and how important collar conditioning and properly collar conditioning your dog is. Yep. Next question from Facebook. Krista Warender Masters. We just got our first GSP pup last week. Congratulations. We started clicker training the second day and it's going well. She knows her name. Here and sit. Question, should the same person do the training or can we mix it up? We have three girls, ages 12 and 9, and nine-year-old twins. Awesome. Oh, congratulations. That really want to help. Thanks. Yeah, I thought you said nine-month-old. I was So congratulations happened a while ago, but uh, congratulations nonetheless. I think that sounds like a great question to head out on. So uh, I want to go, I want to hear you guys' part on uh, how much of the family should be included in a new puppy's training? I would say everyone. I think it's important that the puppy knows that everyone is in charge. Yeah, you know, the, the whole family has to be involved because the whole family is naturally going to be involved in the dog's life. Right? For sure. And that dog is going to, again, naturally you know, find its, its packing order. And if the fa- whole family isn't involved and consistent yep. and, uh, you know, delivers, you know, the, the correct, you know, message at the right time, um, there's going to be some frustrations and issues that, that come up with that. Yeah. And the dog's not going to respect the other people hmm? that building that bond and doing those training sessions is going to build that trust, but also that respect for your daughters, which Two nine-year-olds and a 12-year-old are definitely old enough to be involved in training sessions. Obviously, if we're talking about everyone becoming involved, and I've got Aiden, who's only 17 months old right now, he's only able to do so much. Right now, he he can carry the bowl across the floor without (laughs) dumping the food on the ground. 90% of the time. He still dumps it sometimes. Yeah. You know, so he is only physically and mentally at this point able to be involved so much. But our hope and goal is for him to become more involved as he becomes able 
So with those constraints in mind, yes, everyone should be part of the family's training sessions and guide your children on how to properly interact with your puppy and be a part of that. So I think we can all um, go to say across the board, everybody has to be involved. And uh, you mentioned, I believe you said uh, pecking order. Is that? Yep. So um, I think the biggest misconception that I can throw out here is the last little caveat to this question. Um, uh, and we see this more from not to pick on, but wives and children that I feel like if I give them all of the love, which is love the way that we see love, you know, petting and praise and sweet talk and cuddling and those kind of things, I give them all of that. They should also, you know, return the favor, which um, dogs brains don't work that way. And the reason that the dog only typically responds to dad or whoever, usually it's one person, is it's typically the person that puts the most time, effort, and energy into the training portion. So there's respect there. Um, and, and if everybody can help and be part of that training, that respect can be evenly distributed amongst the family. Yeah, for yep. sure. Totally agree. Awesome. Guys, I want to say thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you. You bet. Awesome. It was great to have a little bit different perspective. Also from a couple that owns and operates mm. their own kennel business and breeds their own dogs, labs. Mm. And it was great to see that different perspective on some of the questions, but also go, wow, we have a lot in alignment with these questions and answers. So Which I, you know, I, I do think that this is super cool. And just like taking a second to reflect on this is that you know, there's not many, like the four of us are in a very unique, you know, class as far as not only our age, you know, and the success that we've all been very fortunate enough to have, Absolutely. but then also to do it with your spouse, I think in any profession, <laughs> yeah. uh, is, is certainly a feat, but uh, a lot of people look at us and go, you guys are crazy. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it's, it, it's, I think it's really neat and it's something that I'm, I know I'm going to enjoy kind of keeping up on things as we all you know, progress forward in our careers. For sure. And 100%. we, and we have children. I mean, yes, right. throw that into the mix because Ava is just over a year just now a and year. eight and 17 months and they got a little bit of playtime together today, which yep. they both enjoyed. So it is, it's really cool to see how you guys have been successful, what you've done to become successful and vice versa. So absolutely. Yeah. Hey guys, thank you again for all of the questions this week. We really appreciate everybody reaching out with their questions. And I do want to say, if we didn't get to your question this week, um, we do have a community set up for question and answer that happens daily. Uh, either Kat or I go on and we answer questions on, you can check out patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. You can go on there. It is a subscription service, but it is set up to answer your questions when you have them. So, so if you've got a question that you're dying to get an answer to and we haven't been able to get to it, check us out there. If not, uh, guys, I am, oh, here we go, <laughs> out of bourbon, and uh, we are out of time for this week. Thank you, everybody, for watching, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>